Hello and welcome to the Jeff Macalino podcast. I'm so happy you're joining me today. Got a good episode for you. Uh, real quick, a couple of things I need to mention. Uh, this is your your last call for Valentine's Day fail stories for you or your friends or your uh, whoever. Uh, send me your stories. You can uh, message me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can also email it to me, stjmac at gmail.com. And you can also send me, if you'd like me to play you telling the story, as long as it's not overly long, you can send me a voice recording as long as the quality's, you know, adequate. And uh, if you're okay with me playing it on uh, the podcast, uh, please feel free to send it to me that way as well. Uh, also, I forgot to mention... Uh, Hey, if you want to hear more of me, I was on a fun podcast, Amigos PC. Uh, it's all together, Amigos PC. It's on their podcast on uh, oof, two Sundays ago, I think, when this uh, recording comes out. Uh, so shout out to uh, those gents. That was fun. Also, if you if you like sports, check out the uh, FL Teams podcast uh, I hosted with the, uh, it's called the NFL Coaching Carousel. That was a lot of fun uh, with a couple of gents, uh, Jeremiah and Andrew, uh, running through all of the uh, coach openings uh, in the NFL and gave my thoughts on uh, that. That always fun to talk sports. Also, uh, hey, shout out to, uh, shout out to uh, my son's flag football team uh, after losing. A couple of games, including the week two to uh, a team with uh, Kevin Cash's son on it. Uh, week three, my offense, because I'm the offensive coordinator, come out and uh, put a nice 34 to nothing whipping on that team. So offense and defense obviously came through a plenty. Uh, James is uh, having fun, scoring touchdowns, and, uh, you know, it's a Fun season, his last one at uh, 8U level before it really ramps up in uh, ability. So, anyways, enough about my me. Let's talk about the guest I have on today, Bobby Hedgeland taylor And uh, he's done a lot of things. Uh, and we talk about most of those, but probably could have filled another few hours. He has a lot of uh, uh, interesting and cool life experience. Uh, he is a uh, circus and aerial designer who's worked, uh, gosh, theaters, rock concerts, cruise ships. He's published a book recently. Um, he was a trapeze artist. He's an actor, dancer, singer, comedian. Uh, he, he, he does it all. So we talk about uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, he has a book out called uh, Hashtag Shit My Mama Says, which... It's a humorous look uh, at things. We'll talk a lot about that on this podcast. Uh, he wrote that, uh, you know, his mother was dealing with dementia in her late stages. So he wrote some, well, as you can probably guess, some quotes that she had said. Um, so funny, also heartwarming uh, book as he uh, writes about her before some of the, the quotes, um, you know, and his feelings and all of that. So check it out. Uh, links will be to everything. He also has a book coming out that uh, a awesome title, uh, Escape to Ravioli Mountain, uh, which is about growing up in an Italian family. They lived on a mountain in uh, rural 
oof, easy for me to say, rural Pennsylvania. Um, so we talk about that. Uh, we talk a lot about his uh, his comic act, and uh, he does something I'm so jealous of. He does impressions, and he does them so well. Uh, and he does a, a few of them uh, in this uh, in this episode. And I mentioned a YouTube video. I will link that in the show notes where he sings Let It Go uh, as Eric Cartman and uh, Kermit the Frog. Paula Dean, uh, Tasmanian Devil, makes an appearance. Uh, Goofy, I believe, is in there. And there's other voices. It's really, uh, you know, funny to watch. And I, I showed it to my kids even. They found it very funny and uh, humorous, because, especially because they love Eric Cartman so much. Um, so hey, enjoy it. Um, you know, a fun conversation, uh, with Bobby Hedlund Taylor, and I will see you on the flip side. All right, everyone. I now welcome Bobby Hedlund Taylor to the Jeff Macalino podcast. Bobby, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. <laughs> how are you? I'm excellent. I am excellent. And, uh, Excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, the the toughest part with with someone who has done so much like you have is to figure out where to start. <laughs> so, um, yeah, ju just a few of the things you've done: trapeze artist, actor, dancer, singer, comic, uh, author. Um, uh, I'm I, I'm definitely leaving stuff out. I guess chef. Uh, you're at least capable of cooking. <laughs> Amateur right? chef. Uh, Amateur chef, uh, right. <laughs> trapeze, former trapeze artist. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of hyphens in there. So. Yeah, and, and and I told you before we started recording, I watched a YouTube video that I highly recommend uh, that I'll, I'll put everything, obviously, in the show notes. But uh, the singing uh, Let It Go with... Uh, I think it was at least six or seven different impressions. I think it's... Uh, well, I do a total... Now it's a total of 14. So, 14 I, I, now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I do. I, I have been working on a full show. A full, it's a one hour show called Bitter Party of 50 because I have 50 different voice character voices. And mm. um, so each and it's basically television from my childhood to the MTV days uh, to current. And it's those uh, Sonny and Cher, Elvis Presley, The Muppets, uh, South Park, you know, so I throw them all in and uh, and hope for the best. But uh for my usual set, I usually pick um, uh, pick a Disney song and throw a bunch of voices together for that. And that's where I started with Let It Go, because it was just too perfect to have Eric Cartman singing Let It Go from South Park. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's and uh, I love I love South Park. That's when I my son is nine and my daughter is about to turn 12. So it's kind of tough, but I try to pick out episodes they can watch of South Park and they <laughs> They love it too. So, so I, we, yeah. I, I definitely plan on showing that video to them. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know they probably won't. They probably won't recognize a lot of the voices because it is kind of a borscht belt kind of humor. Um, you know, we 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 go with what we recognize, and um, you know, the goal for it is is to obviously be a casino show because that's where all the old people go anyway, and they would know my voices. <laughs> so, um, but no, um, trying to find more modern voices to go in. Like I've been throwing, you know, throwing around some different political people, and um, I, I, you have to listen to them over and over again in order to really perfect the voice. It's very much. A science. I mean, I literally have to find the placement in my face where they find their voice. 
Um, so I have to, if I'm going to put Mitch McConnell in my act, I have to listen to him for hours and I really don't want to do that. Um, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going to say with politicians listening to any oh, of them God. for any period of time would seem like self-torture. <laughs> it really, it really is. And, but it's funny when it's done, you know, like to hear Mitch McConnell sing, never going to give you up. I mean, come on, you know, it's comedy <laughs> gold there. I've got, you know, I, I have to, I have to push through because it's worth it for my listeners. Um, but, uh, the other one that I was working on was um, Kermit the Frog singing Lizzo's Good as Hell. And because it's a rap, <laughs> it's, it's even funnier with Kermit the Frog um, coming through singing Lizzo. So I really do like, that's my, my, my latest thing. And here's the thing, we all been through shit for the past two years. So my, my previous shit that I've done is really irrelevant. It's what I'm doing now. Um, because it brings joy to people who have been cooped up for ages. And you and I were talking before the before the podcast about uh, doing Zoom stand up, which I don't recommend. Um, unfortunately, we had no choice because it was I, it was a way to make some money. And um, but it was horrible because as a comic, you live off the the you feed off that from the audience like that. As soon as you land that first joke, you know, you walk out, you hit your first joke, the audience laughs, they're breathing, they immediately go. And then you get to relax and you're like, I got them. And then you lead them into this five minutes of your life through song. And um, so um, so that's like been my my focus because people need that more than, I, I know I need it. And it's like crack to me it, to have an audience laugh about something I said or did. So for me, I'm a goofball. I'm happy to be in front of you for five minutes and tell you stories and make you laugh. Tell you how my first words were fucking reindeer, you know, there's a lot of stories. Um, but, uh, but I, I, but like, yes, I was a trapeze artist. I worked with the band fish. I have done rock concerts. I've done cruise ships. I've done Broadway. I've done off Broadway. I mean, you can see my playbills from my Broadway shows that I've worked on. Um, I've been a dancer. I've been an actor. I've been a ballroom dancer. I've worked with celebrities and I have you know, danced with Kirstie Alley on QVC, you know, not, not that that's like something to, to be proud of, but it, I was kind of proud of it. Um, it's so an interesting uh, story. <laughs> you know, oh, it is actually. Um, we were selling diet products of all things, um, <laughs> and I'll send you the pictures because um, I don't have the video. But um, I, she had a diet that she was promoting on QVC, and I was on that diet, and I lost almost ninety pounds on that diet. So I will oh, wow. say this: that freaking diet, and it's gone. It it was you know it went belly up, um, but that diet worked. And for me, it, I, I can say honestly that it was not a scam. It, it was not Jenny Craig. It was a different diet. It was called Organic Liaison. And I lost almost 90 pounds on that shit. And so they recognized me and Kirstie brought me to QVC. We did a whole thing. She sold diet products and we got to dance a little bit on QVC. So, um, so you know, there's all these little, little tidbits of who I am as a person. And yes, I'm now an author because my mother died of COVID at the beginning of uh, the pandemic, 11 days into lockdown here in New York. Um, she was in a nursing home and um, uh, it just, you know, it was her time. And sadly, uh, you know, the, 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 in New York City, we got hit really hard. And right. when you're a comic and you have nothing but despair, there's no way to break through that. It is so powerful and it is such a, a weight on your chest. It's like, oh, you know, there's an ambulance going by my house every 20 minutes for, for three months, 24-7. Yeah, I'm going to try to make you laugh. I can't even make myself laugh. Um, so I started, after a few weeks went by, I started writing. And also, 
the reason I knew my mother had COVID because there were no tests at that point um, is because the day she died, after we made her funeral arrangements uh, for cremation, uh, the next morning I woke up with COVID and we had been mm. together that whole time. Plus I found out later that there were three people in her nursing home that were in the hospital with COVID in February of 2020 and no one knew what it was. So there was all right. of this stuff. We were so misinformed and we were blindsided. So what do you do? Um, my mother was a very funny person and I didn't realize that her catchphrases and her way of, you know, lightening up a situation were mine. And it was like, it was like this light bulb, light bulb went off in my head and it was, <laughs> you know, I just happened to have those sitting there. Um, <laughs> a light bulb went off in my head and it was like, oh my God, this is my coping mechanism. And I got it from her. And, you know, that, so I started to, it, as through the whole, the whole process of having an elderly parent with dementia, I, she would come out with some crazy shit. And I would just write it down and I would use the hashtag shit my mama says and I would post it on all my social media. And my friends would be like, laugh, laugh, laugh. Oh my God, I'd get private messages. Oh my God, that was so funny. Remember, my, my mom did X, Y, and Z or my dad, you know. And then all of a sudden it started to be this thing that people would expect every time I would visit my mom, she would come up with something new that was, you know, completely off, off the, you know, the, the beaten path and whether talking about her private parts or, naming them or anything like that, you know, it's like, we, um, you know, we got closer as mother and son as the days went longer. And, you know, then when she passed, it was a way to sort of remember her, but then I didn't really start focusing on it until a year after she had passed, I started writing her eulogy and her, um, obituary. And during that process, I was like, this needs to be a book. This doesn't need to be her eulogy. I'm not going to showboat my mother's memorial service. This is this is her, and this is going to help people. So I I self published on Amazon, and then when we finally were able to have a funeral um, with to bury my mother next to my dad, her ashes obviously, um, you know she wasn't sitting in the freezer, um, but um, you know we we had we had lost six relatives that we never had a chance to mourn together. So we had a group memorial service. And since each person wanted to talk about their relative, I didn't, again, want to showboat it, but I wanted one book to go into her ash vault so that at the end of the day, I knew that even though when, you know, when you go to a cemetery, the, you see a name and two dates and maybe beloved wife and mother or doctor, or it has a funny saying, I told you I was sick, um, you know, something, you know, but there's nothing that says who that person in that box was. And so that book is now hidden in her ash vault and maybe in a 50 to 100 years when that cemetery is overgrown and, and, and disappears and somebody breaks open that ash vault, they'll have a book of who this person was. And it's just my gift back to her because she was a great mom. She was crazy. She was funny. Um, and so, you know, you have that, you, it, it, as, as a child, you want to do everything for your parents and uh, you know when when you're stuck with a parent who is definitely dealing in the, with the throes of dementia and confusion and you know there's so much pain involved and there's so much guilt involved that you're just like bombarded with all this shit so through the the sludge fest that was the pandemic for the past two years i had to push through and i wrote two books i wrote my mother's quotes called "Shit my mama says uh, a humorous look at life while dealing with dementia 
And then I wrote a cookbook called Escape to Ravioli Mountain, a memoir in food. And that book is basically all of my memories from childhood living with my grandmother, but it's my mother, father's recipes, my grandmother's recipes, being raised Sicilian on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. And all of those things came back during this time period when we have nothing to do but think. So, so that's why I'm like, yes, I have a resume. Anybody can find me online. They can read what I've done, but I just want to reach people. I want, I want people to understand that there is still laughter to be had. We still have a chance to, um, you know, to, to, to really make a difference in people's lives. And if nobody, if, even if you've never wanted to write in your entire life, I suggest you do it. I'm not a writer, I'm not an editor, and I'm not a chef, but I wrote two books and a cookbook. And you surround yourself with good people, you practice, You there are tons of YouTube tutorials on how to self-publish and tell your story. I wrote my book, most of my books are written on my cell phone. And mm. why? Because you put the notes section and you, and you press the auto dictation. Now, auto dictation has a sense of humor, so you have to watch everything because it does not always translate. Um, uh, speaking of Kirstie Alley, one of the times we were chatting on Twitter and she was looking for a musical that she wanted to uh, do on Broadway. So I text, messaged her back and I said, there's a musical called Ballroom and it's perfect age for you, perfect vocal timber. You don't have to be a great singer. It's just a great acting role about an older woman who meets a man in a ballroom. And she tweeted back, now she'd since deleted the tweet, but oh my God, that's amazing. I have that scrotum sitting on my nightstand. <laughs> so, so I was like, Kirsty, I didn't know they were detachable, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> you know, to have that word be mistaken for script, you would have had to have written scrotum in your phone hundreds of times. <laughs> so yeah. just be aware. But that's how that's how I wrote my book. And um and so I, 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 all of the stuff that I do is, you know, I, I'm, I, 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 yes, I went to college, I went to theater school, but my life as a performer has been being in the trenches, you know, being that last comic up at three a.m. before last call, you know, being the guy who's the the unique comic in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the day, um, you know, or the middle of the night rather because they want to break up from, you know, just the, the comics telling five minutes of their life to, hey, there's this funny guy who does these voices and the song and it can, you know, can pep up the middle of a show. So I get tossed in the middle of the show sometimes. Sometimes I open, but I'm still fairly new to the New York City scene because we, we've, everything's been spread out. I mostly did stand up in LA in the 90s and then i sort of gave it up because there were so many people doing it and better than me at that time and i didn't even know what my life's goals were in the 90s i was also more in the circus world i was a trapeze artist i was working in vegas i was performing all over the 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 country and so stand-up was just kind of like something i was dabbling in and then it wasn't until i had hip replacement this past year nine months ago um mm -hmm. that trapeze kind of went by the wayside and i really had to um, you know, pivot and shift gears. And like, I can't, I can't perform at the intensity in the air that I would ever want to be anyway, anymore, because I now have an artificial joint and not the fun kind, um, you know, so, um, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I had to pivot again and I had to make my life different. 
and stand up is just a gift and it all it, all it is is somebody commenting on life you know like we were talking about naming our penises it's like it's a thing <laughs> and it can give you a 5 minute set in front of people you know and so i encourage people to name their private parts name your penis name your vagina <laughs> you know yeah once yeah just just don't call it out during sex it might be weird <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Or call the wrong name. Oh God, I did that once. Not a good idea. Oh man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not to digress. But oh shit. Bad, 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 bad. I mean, you know, nowadays it's like if you can't think of anybody, you know. But anyway. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't want my penis enough to name it. I think that's the you know, it's like the stray animal that that hangs around the house. Some people feed it, name it, love it. Some people are like, scram, get the hell out of here. What the hell's wrong with you? That's more fun. It's like, yeah. You're up when well, I want you, you down. You're kids, down when so, I want you yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, like I was telling you, like, you know, my, I named mine Wilbur after the pig in Charlotte's Web. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's a whole story there, but I don't want to go into it. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> but it is, it's like, that's, you know, as, as simple as that is, you can take that one thing and turn it into a five minute set. You can take that one thing and turn it into a 10 minute set. You can expand on where you are in your life and make people laugh. And that's just my, that's my joy. And like I said, it's my crack. Also, my crack is listening to an audience. My heroine is listening to an audience laugh. And once you have that first joke, it always makes me like, uh, I'll never forget. There's one show. So it was a variety show. Um, I'm more known in the variety world because uh, we don't have, you know, the, the, because you're in the circus world, you, you would kind of navigate as an artist, but they would have aerialists, they would have ground performers. And then as I started to develop my act, I would start to do ground stuff on these variety shows. So the guy before me was a juggler and he was juggling a snifter filled with Hennessy and it drops. So the entire stage is flooded with Hennessy. And so I walk <laughs> and they mop it up and I walk out and, I, and, and, and the, the MC is like, so sorry, Bobby. And I just go, smells like home and brought the house down, immediately brought the house down. I didn't even think about it until like two seconds into it. But I was like, oh, I got them. I got them. And that is, that's just gold for, for what we do. And I also find that, um, there are so many people who have that basic standard. Comedy is a science, you know, whether people want to believe it or not, jokes come in threes, they're in three parts. And in order to land each part, you have to think of it as a science. It's the same thing with my, my voices. Like if I don't have them nailed down, people are like, who is that? Was that supposed to be Kermit? And I'm like, no, I have a head cold, um, you know, but so it's like, hmm. You have to really be precise because then you lose your audience. Then they don't laugh. Um, I um, there was one time, there was one section of my act I really was having a hard time with, and it was Paula Dean of all people, and I was having the worst time finding her voice and timbre, and it just wasn't coming out the right way. And then I watched a couple of her videos, and and she just popped out, and people laughed more at Paula Dean than they did at Cartman. So I was like. I don't know why, but I, I video try to videotape as much as possible because I learn from watching my mistakes. And um, when I was younger, I would beat myself up with those mistakes, which is not what we want in these days and age. You really want to um, use it to your advantage and use it so that you can 
you know, correct the mistake and do it on the next set. Just don't dwell on it, you know? And that's what I'm, that's where I'm working on, you know, and being, and writing also really helps because, you know, I'm writing stuff that's humorous. The story of my first words is in my cookbook. You know, my, my first words were fucking reindeer. And, you know, so it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to tell the story now. Um, so yeah. <laughs> basically born and raised in an Italian family on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania, my great grandfather and grandfather bought plots of land on the top of this mountain. And my great grandfather was the, had 13 children. My grandmother was the eldest of 13. So he, my great grandfather sold plots of land to each one of his children for $1. And I still have the deeds, which is the deed for my grandmother's place, which is just amazing because like that was something they did. Like you couldn't gift property. You had to sell it even if it was for $1. So I have a deed for $1. Um, but anyway, um, so they settled around him and then their family settled around. So the entire top of this mountain was my relatives. I didn't have a neighbor that wasn't a relative until I moved to New York and there was Mrs. Johnson across the hallway. I'm like, who the fuck is that? You know, so, you know, it's not <laughs> Aunt Jenny. related to us? <laughs> you know, how is she related to us? But it was the way that little microcosm, right, we, we were raised in that sort of, it was insulated, but yet but it was a bucket of crazy on top of a mountain. Um, so, uh, so what I do in my, in, in writing is the same that I do in stand up. It's like, what's the story? Where do we, where's our end result? We want the laugh. Laughter is what we're after. So I know and it's like stupid, stupid, like saying like that, but that's like ingrained in me from clown school. Um, I, I, I was, I auditioned for clown school for Ringling Brothers clown school in um, really? 94, <laughs> got in twice didn't, I wasn't able to do it. It was a, it wasn't for me. Um, it was big prop comedy that I wasn't really into. It was also um, presentational instead of really interactive. And also the interactive stuff was fake to me. And even though they liked me and my physical comedy was still good, it was not, you, I would have had to give up being an aerialist, which is not, I, I the only reason I would want to work with that particular brand was to be an aerialist, not to be a comedian and not to be a clown. And the clowns also made like abs, like worse money. The elephants were paid more than the clowns. And, you know, like in 1993, I think the clowns made $225 a week. And they had to pay 50 cents to the bus driver to drive them from the train yard to the arena and back each direction out of their paycheck. Um, so out of that huge paycheck, so there was a lot of negatives and I'm not dissing Ringling Brothers, you know, they, 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 they were, you know, they were good, but, um, clown school did teach me a lot about what I didn't want in comedy, but it also was something that I was good at. And I did do clowning afterwards, but not in the same way that I did more of a European clown, more of the, uh, David Larible, more of the, uh, Commedia dell'arte style. Um, there's one video on my, uh, on my YouTube channel called sweeping up the spotlight, which is an old school clown number that David Larible taught me. And, um, he's from my, uh, like, like generations of Italian clowns. So learning that from him was just pretty special. And I, and I threw that into the, to the show that, that it's in, but, um, that, that saying laughter is what we're after is really what triggers me when I'm writing. Like if, if each story is a funny story, then what's the punchline first? 
and then backtrack, you know? Um, so I was promising again, this is the third time I'm saying, so <laughs> picture it, <laughs> the 1960s, um, uh, my mother, my mother bought, I have a brother. So my mother bought two of everything, um, because I have an older brother we're, we're very close in age, 15 months apart. Uh, as she always said, it doesn't matter, you know, parents like, oh, they're not a year and a half, 15 months apart, 15. you know, because That'll she be wanted exact. to let you know when she had sex, um, you know, so it's very important. It is, it is, it is. And I was conceived on a beaver dam, she informed me. So that's another story. Um, but, but so we're, my mother bought these two inflatable reindeer to put beside the, the Christmas tree. And it's Christmas day. And, and, you know, my grandmother's coming for dinner. And my father's working, mom's in the kitchen cooking, and my brother and I start to fight over these reindeer and one pops. So then she hears us rustling. Now, mind you, I did not speak for the first year and a half of my life. They thought I was deaf. They thought I had a speech impediment. I would grunt. I would make noise, but I would always hide behind my mother and my grandmother. So she would, she came in with her wooden spoon like a ninja, and she was like, give me that fucking reindeer. Takes the inflatable reindeers, throw them in the closet. Sends us to our thinking chair because we didn't have time out back then. Um, <laughs> so we're in our thinking chairs, apparently, as two toddlers will be. And we hear my grandmother's car pull up. Well, the car comes to a halt. Grandma comes to the door. We bolt to the door. And without a without blinking, I grab her skirt and I'm pointing to the closet. Fucking reindeer! Fucking reindeer! And my mother goes, he can talk! <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, Nana, fucking reindeer, Nana! So it was really Nana was my first words, but fucking reindeer was, you know, good right up there. Um, so that story is, you know, that's the way I'm telling the stories in the book. They are real funny stories that my family would tell at any gathering, you know, just to, to share, you know, my grandmother always talked about my grandfather's penis and um, you know, and always when, when the kids were either away or we were sort of passed out on a lawn chair, but we were actually listening, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was, you know, like they didn't even know they had a writer in their midst and that, you know, <laughs> you know, and I didn't know I was going to end up writing this stuff, but the, you know, I was taking notes, <laughs> so, but I remembered this stuff and um, you know, and hopefully people find joy in it. And that's all I, that's, that, that's all, that's all any comedian wants is to spread joy. You know, it's it's so interesting and, and fascinating to an extent. Um, and I'm rationalizing it in my head. The funny thing is, so I I got into doing stand up and even this podcast at the advice of comedians because I was trying to write and I couldn't make it funny enough. Uh, it was I was going for dark comedy. It was not very funny. It was dark, missing the laughs. And they, so almost the inverse of, of your route where I'm, I wrote first and I said, I need to make it funny, start doing stand up, And all of a sudden things start working. Yeah. Uh, and you almost went the other way. You had kind of the showmanship, the funny, and then you're like, Hey, I, and, and your way of writing, I think, uh, shows that where you kind of start with the punchline and go backwards, uh, which is really how you do stand up for the most part i mean you, you either start with a premise and find a punchline and fill the in between or that's how right. i do it at least or you start with the punchline and need to figure out how to start the joke right but it it it, it really it also i mean here's the other thing you got to know your audience mm. you know like it, it, the last time i did a set um 
for the queer comedy festival and it was November 4th. And, um, so, you know, I was like, Oh shit, you know, this is all queer comedy. And I'm like, I don't have, I don't, I don't usually go there. I mean, yeah, I'm gay, big deal. Whoopee. Yay. I came out. Um, you know, but I don't usually go there in my set just because. Is that an you know, exclusive like, I, on the podcast? <laughs> oh, oh no, please. I've, I'm kidding. You know, I'm if, kidding. If, if, if it is, if it is, you know, in this day and age, please, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a Barack Obama to come out. You know, it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm waiting. Hey, I, you know, have pretty it, muscular arms. <laughs> hey, you know, I, but anyway, like I never really made my comedy queer centric. And then, you know, I was able to, to sort of buffer it a little bit by, by, by you know, just, 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 obs- we're just observers. We're observing the human experience and, and commenting on it humorously, you know, and that's, and like you're saying, like when you, when you, this was how I learned that it was my coping mechanism. My mother, if she was, if she had the resources and the connections when she was younger, she would have been a stand-up comic. We had every stand-up comedy album on vinyl and eight track. Oh wow! And she would play them. And she was also a wizard electricity. She would wire everything in the house. So, you know, like the Christmas lights were on one switch and it was like the whole house, the front lawn with the life-size Santa and reindeer, the life-size nativity. I mean, it was just like, you know, <laughs> the crucifix you could actually crucify somebody on that lit up. You know, she had one switch and every the whole house could be seen from space. Christmas and, um, vacation style. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But she did that with speakers. And during even during the even during the Christmas holidays, she would have Christmas music playing out in the yard when nobody was listening to it. Mm. And, and, and it, so the speakers were up year round, but she would play stand up comedy on the summertime most of the time because we were in the garden. We were feeding the chickens. We were taking care of livestock. We were taking care of the or we, we had it. We had one time we had uh, a pool and we had music playing, but she would always Joan Rivers, George Carlin, Eddie Murphy, Whoopi Goldberg. Um, you name it, uh, Richard Pryor, anybody who had a stand up (laughs) album and also like Dom DeLuise, Don Rickles, uh, the old time comics that had that very specific borscht belt humor, um, that my mother would play on loop. Um, or if it was a, uh, you know, like she had the latest record player that would repeat, you know, would just, it had this arm that would repeat the same thing. Or if it was an eight track, it had this way of looping to put it on loop but it was playing constantly. And that's how I know that she was listening and I was listening and she was studying them. And she would, you know, even some of uh, the, the jokes she would come out with, you know, would be, you know, like Louis, Louis Anderson had an HBO comedy special. And, you know, we're in the, we're in the nursing home and something happened, I forget what it was. And it was a Louis Anderson joke. And she's like, are you on dope? Well then give me some. You know, and it goes back to his his stand-up comment. And I'm like, wait a minute, where did that come from? Oh, that's Louis Anderson. And so she had that timing. And it was her way of breaking up the 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 anxiety of a situation, whether she was anxious or we as kids were anxious, or the situation around her was anxious and needed, you know, like there's always that there's always that person who cracks a joke is like tension reliever had to be done. And that's usually me. You know, I say something inappropriate during the staff meetings all the time. And if there's any staff members watching, they, 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 they know. And, um, you know, that's just, that's just me. 
and we find our rhythm we find and we find our vibe and the more you get in front of an audience uh the better and that's just the way that i've been experiencing it and like like i was saying um you know i'm working on a full full length show which is not in anywhere near done but the components are there and the voices are there it's just a matter of you know finding a way to put it all together and find an audience for it and until then i'm just going to do my regular five to seven minute set you know wherever i can and if somebody wants me to do a longer set i'll add you know my stevie nicks impression which is always a fun one you know because i tell the story of, of stevie nicks and lindsey buckingham while i'm singing landslide and talk about them doing coke and fucking you know so, so you know so so you're you're hearing my voice then you hear you know i go back and forth with between stevie nicks and my voice and, i'm i'm so. so jealous of of the um so so doing the impression first of all and and even you being able to just switch <laughs> from from voice to voice your own voice um I, I i've been i've been doing some uh sketch comedy acting for a guy who <laughs> he writes it all and uh you know he's had me try to do like he had me try to play john lennon uh and dracula and jackie gleason uh jackie gleason's the only one i think i kind of was close but he's not that hard to pull off i mean right, he, right. kind of a real low-key new york accent loud uh, but like Paul, Len uh, uh, John Lennon, it's like, I can't, I can't do a British accent at all. I know he says the Beatles, like he, he emphasizes like the, yeah. part. um, other than that, nothing, it was all awful. Well, here's your, here's your <laughs> lesson in impressions from what I know. And I'm not, I'm a novice at gra granted. I'm, I'm like novice level when it comes to these people that do these shows, my coach, um, that I've been working with is Christina Bianco. And if you Google her, you'll know she's been around the impression world. And she does things like Julie Andrews, Barbara Streisand, Judy Garland. Um, you know, she has this whole um, thing and she had like millions of followers on YouTube. And um, so she is, you know, she, the way, the way she explained it to me, the way that I learned it is its placement. If I'm doing Kermit the Frog, it has to be really open and I have to have the voice behind my nose. So I'm lifting my palate. So if I were going to learn something like, like Ralph Cramden or, or at Jackie Gleason, I would really have to listen to him first of all, because I know he's way out there, you know, and it's that loud New York, you know, but that's not him, but I, that's just me. Like, you know, from, it's from not memory. too far though. <laughs> yeah. But you get in the ballpark and then, when you get in the ballpark, then if you if you have headphones, listening on the headphone. Uh, in fact, one of the songs that I do in my act is I do the whole scene and song, "Poor Unfortunate Souls" from Little Mermaid, as Ariel and Ursula. So I do the whole thing, and I was just rehearsing it. And if you can hear your voice match the ear, you can hear what it mm. sounds like. You know, and it's uh, you know, you're 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 hearing that um that that timber of the voice, you know, like come in, come in, my child, you know, mustn't look in doorways, it's rude, and you have that moment where you're listening to her in your ear and you're matching it. And the other thing that's that's different is Christina only does females. I don't I don't think she's ever done a guy, um, as, um vocally, um, but um, I do men and women vocally um but um 
you know, never, never, th never threw anybody out of my bed, not, not an advertisement, but just saying, um, uh, but, um, the timber of the voice changes, especially, you know, if a woman's voice like Eartha Kitt is very, very, she's behind the nose and she has a very specific way of speaking and she rolls her eyes. And then you bounce back to Elvis, uh-huh, you know, so there's a difference in there. And Kermit the Frog is male, I suppose. Um, so when you get them, <laughs> You find your timber. What I have the hardest part with, and this is something I'm just gonna put out there, is pop culture references. I have the hardest time getting the pop culture references into my work while staying current because a lot of the voices, Sonny and Cher, you know, those are, that's 1960s, 1970s, uh, Elvis Presley, 1960s, 1970s, Little Mermaid, 1990, you know, so it's like they're all different eras that people will recognize based on what they, they know Eartha Kitt because of Emperor's New Groove. They know Little Mermaid because every kid knows Little Mermaid, no matter how old right. you are. And you as a father probably have watched Little Mermaid way too many times. And, oh, um, as a kid and as a parent, you right. got a front end and back end on that one. Exactly, <laughs> but that's also, of course, you know, you know and you know, uh, you know, practice SCAR from Lion King and you'll find a really cool way of listening to where the British sound comes in as well as where your timber of that voice is. He's very specific. And that's, um, I, I, that's interesting. That's part of it too. I'm not good at, I have a pretty deep voice. You can probably tell I'm not good mm -hmm. at <clears throat> fluctuate. You have a deep voice, but you can go all over the place. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Part of that maybe is just vocal exercise or just being gifted. I don't know. Um, I was a singer. I was a singer when I was younger. So working in the Broadway world circuit, um, you tend to use vocal exercises and things like that. But here's the thing. My real voice, I can't sing where Eric Cartman sings in my real voice. I can't get there. I sure. Oh, this is another thing that I was working on. I was working on I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. And of course, I can't do Whitney's voice. So the big note at the end is Eric Cartman. I and I just... <laughs> hit that perfectly as Eric Cartman, but I can't hit that vo that note in my voice, like my regular singing voice, just like Bobby's voice. So it's about where the placement of Eric is opens up a different range. It also stretches yeah. your vocal cords. Um, so I found that ever since I started doing voices, my regular singing voice has gotten so much nicer and so much better that I also want to maybe add a song or two that's just me singing. Um, but I'm not even there yet. I'm still like, I'm still in the, I'm still in the testing material phase. And, you know, while, while the pandemic was going on, I did a voiceover and um, that we, I had to do a political person who I will not discuss, um, but I hated that person so much. And I had to listen to them over and over and over again. And I was paid to do it. And I was just like, oh my God. And I don't even want to, tell you where to find it because I don't, I just don't want to go there. Um, but it was, it was a paycheck. <laughs> so. I, 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 I think that might be the guy I was trying to impersonate. Uh, I was just, and uh, believe it or not, it wasn't because I was going to interview you yesterday. I'm just like, uh -huh. I wonder, I should, re I should record. Cause I'm like, I think I'm close ish on three voices. One is Cartman, mm -hmm. believe it or not. One, one is a uh, uh, good old Donald. And one is Barack. 
so those are the only three voices I've ever done just casually where people are like, Oh my God, if like you him. did the three of them together at a press conference <laughs> or something like that, like, that's it. That's all you have to do is find that, that little moment and just like throw it out there and, I, and then find a way that these three people would interact and I make could it the get most ridiculous scenario. Yeah. <laughs> get a few words where, but Donald Trump, like I'd go off with him and then it would like turn into like surfer dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I, it just gets lost. That's kind of my, that's kind of my impression thing. It's like it, at a certain point, I might nail a word, and then, uh, you know, then I go to another word that's not really compatible with what, you know. Right. Well, you'd have to. The the the, the thing that I have is that you'd have to find, you, you have to listen, even though they may not have said that word, you would have to figure out how they would say that word, and it's just. You know, it's just practicing and listening to yourself, garage band, recording yourself and playing it back and don't be self-conscious. Use it as, oh my God, that word sounded perfect, but this one needed more tone, more high, more low, you know? So that's what I do. And that's how I really like break it down. But um, with uh, um, the duet of Never Gonna Give You Up between Cartman and um, uh, and Rick Astley, I do Rick Astley's voice. and. Um, so um, I basically started because a friend of mine invited me to officiate her wedding. I think he was telling you I officiate weddings. Mm -hmm. And um, so she said, but one proviso, I want you to share the officiating duties with my friend Tanya. And you both have to dress up as Sonny and Cher and sing I Got You Babe live. <laughs> I was Sonny. Um, <laughs> although... Um, so we did and I switch, fell but... <laughs> in love with it. And, and it wasn't until we were in a, we were in a sound check and somebody turned around and looked at me. I was singing, you know, um, I forget Sonny's first line. I don't know, but all that's true. You got me and baby, I got you. And she turned around and she goes, that's uncanny. And then I started, I was like, oh, okay somebody got it and then as soon as we walked out to the sunny and share theme song dressed as sunny and share i have pictures of big bushy mustache the the, the beatles haircut and the fur <laughs> vest you know and it was just it was just priceless but it, it it opened his whole door and um and then we you know like i i started to think about putting it together again and then it just it started really slow and really painful because i was still really self-conscious about what i was doing but the reason I started back there is the way that I found uh, Cartman was I was trying to imitate Edina Menzel, who sang a Let It, Let it Go originally in Frozen. Mm -hmm. And in trying to find Edina Menzel, I found Cartman. Ooh. Believe it or not, they have the same sound placement. They just sing in a different, they just sing in a different way. And, um, the other thing is uh, Elvis Presley led me, Cher led me to Elvis Presley and Elvis Presley and Cher led me to Rick Astley because they all have that same hollow sound that Rick Astley has, you know, like, there are no strangers to love. They have that open, you know the rules and so do I. You got that hollow sound. So it's about placement and watching people's mouths. And I know that that's gross, but watching their mouths and where they place their voice is so, is so like, it helps me. And then. Much harder um, with cartoons. It, it, it is. It is because you're just listening to Cartman, you know, you guys suck. 
you know, seriously. Um, but they, you know, like, son of a bitch, you know, so you, 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 and that wasn't even as good as my Cartman can be. I just, you know, like, but I'm like saying, like, I can hear it. I can hear that ping now. I know exactly what I need to do to fix that, you know. Um, but you, you, you repetition, and and I and I. This is the other thing. I and I talk to other comics about this, and it's finding that current events are just as important as what your your comedy is. So, like, staying current. Um, you also have an opportunity to um, address certain things political if you want to, if that's your if that's your route. I don't. I tend to avoid it, political humor of like the plague. That's why I don't even want politi political people in my act, just because it's just it, it, it's off putting to people that would normally enjoy my comedy. Right. It's like I yeah I'm you know I'm I'm a Democrat. It doesn't mean I can't entertain somebody else but i also don't want that in my my humor that's just not me i don't go there um it's it's a shame but you know there's there's 20 percent of the audience on both sides of the aisle that are going to be like i won't i won't uh I, I won't listen to that guy and sometimes it's it's i'm a libertarian so i like riding the fine line of i make fun of everybody but i also right, don't want my act right. to be political <laughs> Right. And I also feel like there's a, there, there comes a time where you can, um, you know, yeah, if it's necessary and you want to throw it in there, if it's something that's ridiculous, you know, like absolutely ridiculous, you know, we have political commentary already out there. We have, you know, we have the, uh, um, you know, we have the, 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 the late night comics that are taking care of that really, and they do a great job of it. I Sometimes. don't want to go there because I also like, I like being able to entertain kids as well and yeah. not, you know, like I don't get a lot of kids in the bar, but, um, but I work around children. I'm a trapeze in instructor. So I see kids and adults. So it's not that I want to do stand up for kids. Sometimes kids come into our school and um, they're, they're terrified. So the first thing I would do is what my mother would do is make them laugh and let them relax you know, and that, that is how they, you know, will get brave because fear is a learned response. And that's one thing that I've learned as a trapeze artist that when I'm fearless, shit, I'll hang from the roof of Madison Square Garden. And, you know, we're talking 70 feet in the air. I've done it twice and it's still like the best experience of my life. Um, but I was scared. Are you fucking, I was terrified. The minute I flew up in those and those harnesses on in, on on the fish concerts, I was like, "Holy shit, whoa!" And then I sat there and I was like, "I'm one of the oldest people in the air right now in this entire space, and I'm also about to touch the roof of Madison Square Garden." Not many people can say they've done that, you are know. There, are and, there harnesses on you when you do that? That just yeah. seems. Yeah, we have to. It's a Wait. law. It's a law in New York that if you are if you're flying over 20 feet, you must be tethered to something. Um, you can use your trapeze or your apparatus as your rescue, but tw anything above 20 feet must be tethered. Um, I think they've gotten a lot stricter with that law, but that's a law that was in place since 1954. And, um, you know, like I, like this is a picture of me at Burning Man. Um, <laughs> so, and that's 30 feet in the air and I'm not tethered, but I'm in the middle of the desert, you know. 
Um, but that's the thing. Like Less that was my life. <laughs> What's that? Less laws out there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But but that but like being um, being an acrobat most of my life, the 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 you put your body at risk, you know, and that's it takes its toll. Obviously, you know, um, I'm in my fifties and I had hip replacement, and so. I've gotten back in the air. If you follow my TikTok, I post my recovery videos on my TikTok. Um, really? I also post recipes, but I've been getting back in the air slowly doing things. And it's only been nine months since my surgery, but I'm already getting back in the air doing very little, little small aerial things on low to the ground, trapeze, aerial fabric, and things like that. I post my, I posted my recovery videos. I posted my walking, um, walking up and down the steps with ankle weights, you know, just to get my, my body back to some kind of a, you know, whatever this potato is that I live in, I wanted it to at least be healthy, you know, but how, I, I wanted to stay strong. So how is the, I mean, it, you hear the description of the hip replacement surgery oh, yeah. and it sounds violent and gruesome. Mm -hmm. um, the recovery from an outside perspective, it seems quicker than I, you would, than I would have suspected. Um, is it still a, uh, a feeling like do you have pain at all at this point or no. is it just learn flexibility kind of thing i mean you're you have limits and you have to respect those limits because it is not it's not your body it's not the bone that was born you were born with right. it can come out and it does for people that over abuse that spe specific area most of the time the dislocations happen when people are not doing what they're supposed to or the elderly because they um there's the muscle atrophy is what really holds it in place as your muscle tone so if you don't do your physical therapy now i'm not going to brag but my my legs and my butt and my arms are super strong being a trapeze artist my whole life my, I, have, I have a core like iron i mean i have a belly like you know, I have a John Goodman belly, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm in my fifties. Old school John happened. Goodman? Old, or old school John Goodman before the surgery. Uh, you know, so, but, uh, you know, so, um, so I have that. So I have, you know, I mean, that's just aging. Um, but I am strong as an ox because of all my acrobatic training. And that's why it was so easy for me. Like I was up four hours after the surgery, walking around the, the, they, they make you walk um, yeah. even 10 feet. You have to walk a minimum of 10 feet, four hours after surgery. Otherwise it locks up and you can't do anything to it. And that's even scarier. Um, so I didn't want that to happen. So within the first 24 hours, I was able to walk uh, three laps around the nurse's station. And then I was able to walk 50 steps up and down stairs. And, wow. you know, you use, use a walker for two weeks, use a cane for two weeks. And then at the one month to six week mark, you're walking on your own and you're fine. You may have a little bit of a limp, but it's just residual pain. It's not the, it's not the pain. This is the thing is how I know I was supposed to have this surgery in 2014. My doctor told 2013, 2014, 2015, you should have hip replace, hip replace, hip replace. Um, but my mom moved in with me in 2015. So there was no way I was going to have this surgery. And be able to care for her at the same time. Glad I did it when I did. Um, but I had gone so far. The pain was excruciating, but I was so used to it that when it, the pain was gone, I can now run. I never, for the past 10 years, I, I haven't ran. I play racquetball now. 
I was playing mm. racquetball at three months post-surgery. I was playing racquetball, not violent, like, you know, like you see those guys jumping off the walls and stuff. I have a wall across the street in a park, just hitting, you know, hitting tennis ball, running back and forth, but I got active. And um, so the surgery is great early. The earlier you get it, the better. And um, people that get it very late in life don't have the muscle tone or the, the ability to build muscle tone. Like there's a point where your body just stops building that muscle. It, it'll make it stronger, but you're never going to get, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger muscles at 80 years old. It's just not going to happen right. if you're just starting. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I had to really like buckle down. I did my PT like a ninja and, um, and then I, and then before it, it was magical because it was like, and you'll see on my, my TikTok, like within six weeks, no, no, no limp whatsoever, no cane. And I was able to, to go to work and go up and down stairs in to, to transfer between subways. And I, I live in New York. So for me, that was incredible because I couldn't do that before. I used to have to use the elevators. I used to have to use um, cabs a lot, which was super expensive. And then, um, you know, there was only so many times that you can go to work and come home spending $20 on a cab. That's like ridiculous amount of money. And um, I wasn't living. And then of course, pandemic hit and nobody was doing anything. Um, so then you got the pandemic weight and all that stuff, but it really brought me back to my old school training. I was trained by a Russian Olympian and she was brutal, but the sweetest lady, sweetest lady. Um, she, she had this very thick accent. She said, Bob, Bob, don't do this, baby, baby. Don't do this. You're stretching, you're stretching muscles. You do the trapeze. I put you on trapeze because you could, you know, so her, she's in her voice is in my head, but she was like old school, Bella Caroli, crack the whip. You know, that kind of thing, not, not the current Bella Caroli, but that's another, that's another long story. Um, no, but, um, but the idea behind um, all of that training was that when it came time for hip replacement, I knew what to do. And you, and you know, most comedians, and I'm not saying everybody, most of us fight with our demons. We fight with our inner, the, the, that, that inner I call it my sibling rivalry. I have my own built-in sibling rivalry um, because I will, will, you know, be I will push myself and be mean to myself more so than the people that I think are being mean to me um, or pushing me. And so I have to really realize that seasonal depression and depression is real. Changing your lifestyle is real, and it has a very negative effect on you if you let it or if you figure out ways to do it. And comedy sort of helped me sort of bounce back and the writing helped me bounce back. You know, like I said, I'm not a writer, not an editor, not a chef, but surrounding myself with good people that knew those skills who could help me was, it was unimaginable how wonderful that became for me. And I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't profess to be anything more than, you know, a, a up and coming amateur comedian, because that's where I am in my life right now. But you take your life experience and you put it into those five minutes and you figure out what works best for you. And you just, you know, and if they laugh, they laugh. If they don't fuck them, you know, <laughs> you know, that's just a, I can't, Bad and there are people, there are people, you know, there are people that'll sit in the, and they're always in the front fucking row. 
Like, why are you here? You came to a comedy club so you could stare with your arms folded. Good for you. Have another cocktail. I'm much funnier when you're drunk. You know, and and I just feel like there's there's a lot to be said um, with the hecklers that are out there. It's almost even more than I noticed before the pandemic. Then now everybody has everybody wants to, everybody wants to to heckle, you know, and uh, it's it's like, you know, I work alone, folks. Thanks, you know, you know. But how do you hey, handle hecklers? Let's put it that way. Well, hey, hey, yeah, COVID I think gave some people some uh, being home by themselves for a long time. I think they just really uh, got a, a self uh, sense of self importance. <laughs> that uh you know oh everyone must want to hear me because i never got anyone push back at me when i was home alone screaming at my tv (laughs) when i watched bill burr's special on netflix i screamed at him all the time and nobody ever told me to stop (laughs) yeah i i I think there's i think there's an anti-social behavior that formed unfortunately in in some people uh over the course i agree i think I think that there's there's it's empowering people to be assholes mm-hmm. and not only in the, the stand up world, but like, um, you know, uh, I went to uh, I went to a Broadway show a couple of weeks ago and um, really dramatic scene happened. And then somebody from the back of the house yells, asshole. And it's like, it's not fucking Rocky Horror, okay? You know? (laughs) This is not an interactive experience. This is not an interactive experience, you know? (laughs) And and it just goes to show you that there are people out there that just, they think it's okay. And I just feel like that is so wrong. And I wish that people would really, you know, realize that if you're coming to a comedy club, that's great. That I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you, but I don't want you to interact with my act because also it's distracting because it takes you off of your thought process. And then a lot of clubs only give you five minutes, but then they start flashing that light in the back of the house. You're like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. you know, I just missed half my act because I'm dealing with this idiot in the front row. But I'm like, if you're a heckler, don't sit in the fucking front row. You're just an asshole, you know? And that's no. just me. Yeah, you know? it's... Uh, I- and and uh where i usually go for open mics the lights hit you so much i can't even see the audience that's not a bad thing (laughs) Uh, except for there was one act where there was a woman who was uh i was doing a whole set about being single and perpetually single and and (laughs) she started basically uh like flirting with me and i was like i don't even know what to say because i don't know what this i i (laughs) For all I know, it's a guy doing a woman's voice. So I, yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know what, I, I can't see. I know where the noise is right. coming from, but I can't see what's happening out here. It, it's hard because there are times like in the afternoon shows I was telling you about, um, there are times when you, you know, there is no, there's no barrier. And you usually have that, the dark lights with the, the pin spot on you or the stage is lit. Um, so there's that. And then, um, you know, I, I, uh, I did a set at the, um, uh, the Sage, uh, it's called Sage, but it's basically, um, elderly LGBT. So it's an LGBT community center for, 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 for the elderly gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, A plus. 
uh, community. So I did my set there and it was partnered with a burlesque show. So it was like this really weird kind of combination of, of my comedy and then people stripping <laughs> and, so, and singing. And so it was just like in an old, in a, in, a, in a senior, in a senior facility for gay people. Um, and there was somebody who didn't know who Eric Cartman was. And she shouts, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, just laugh at the funny parts. <laughs> <laughs> and then she stood up at the end and, 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 and applauded from, she got up from her wheelchair and stood up and applauded because I did Eartha Kit and she liked my Eartha Kit. So it's just like, <laughs> there, you know, you just never know. And you, you have to think on your feet so, so quickly sometimes that it's hard that sometimes you need to have those assholes in the front row to really figure out like, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to calm this down? How am I going to get the audience back to me without taking up too much time? You know, and it's, and it's tough because there I've been to um, different, like I've I, I, Lisa Lampanelli and Mario Cantone. Um, you know, I've seen Whoopi Goldberg live and I've seen different people deal with hecklers, usually not as much with the big, the bigger um, names, but they do have hecklers. Like, why did you come here? Why did you spend $140 for this front row seat? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I forget which one it was, but it was almost like, you know, I remember Lisa Lampanelli just said, get the fuck out of here. If you don't want to laugh, don't spend your money. Just give me your money and get the fuck out. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. it, but it's like, it, I, if you want, it's the same thing. It's like, when I go on TikTok, the one thing that makes me crazy and please don't take this, anybody take this personally. But I see a lot of people just lip syncing their favorite songs. And it's like, that's a content creator who has 11,000 followers and all they do is lip sync to Mariah Carey. And, and I'm like, what, what? And um, so it's like, I'm still trying to figure out what, what TikTok's all about. Um, you know, there, there are people have stand up on there. They have different clips and stuff like that. and. I get it, but it's like, I, I still haven't navigated it as one of I, I don't even things. know how to create a tick, like- You I, press I, the little plus at the bottom of the screen, but it's a long- but, <laughs> yeah, there, but, there you go. See, I, I couldn't even figure out that. And then I'm like, well, I don't know what to do if I create like I- Well, that's the thing, like here, here no, but here's the, here, here, I'll tell you exactly what I did. When I knew I was gonna do the Queer Comedy Festival in November, I put, a couple of pictures in a row of me doing my my shtick and then uh, every now and every now and then i'd put you know get your tickets here queer comedy festival broadway comedy club and then bam it was out there um you could whenever you know you're going to be doing a set somewhere a couple of your funniest lines if you have them on video even if it's like 10 seconds of one of your funniest jokes that got the biggest laugh and then, you know, uh, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, but Jeff Makalakovich. Macaroni. Macaroni. Jeff Macaroni <laughs> is live at the Funny Farm, you know, and and on this Friday, you know, eight, eight, it's it's only a $10 cover, you know, come laugh your ass off and and lose some weight. I don't know, something like that. And then then you just put it out there to your followers. And then they, and then, I found that I had people show up to my show that I didn't know were even like thinking about watching anything that I put out there. One was um, a student of mine. One was my roommate from college. The other was um, 
a friend from Boy Scouts in the 1970s. We've known each other since uh, 80s. We've known each other since the early 80s. Um, and then uh, completely random people uh, from my job showed up. And it was like, you actually watched my videos. You actually watched my TikTok. You actually watched my Instagram. And you bought a ticket and you're sitting in the audience supporting me. And I was just so touched that these people come out of the woodwork. But they do. And it's surprising at how many people are lurkers on social media and how many people are actually interactive. Um, <clears throat> the lurkers are actually the people that know the most about you. The, the ones that follow you are the ones who just click like and they don't even watch the video. So it's like there's a lot of like weird things like, you know, like when it comes to people knowing too much about you, it's, you know, I've gotten marriage proposals already on TikTok and I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> uh nice to meet you in Bulgaria. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm not moving, no. but <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, um, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, or you get those really weird DMs, you know, like, oh, I want to be your daddy. I'm like, Oh, if you're going to be my daddy, you're probably dead, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you get these really bizarre responses. And then there, like I said, the lurkers, the people that don't have a lot of content, but usually are the ones that are watching the videos know most about you. Like I also post stuff about my book and I do a thing called Mary Lou Mondays. And my mom's name was Mary Lou. So every Monday, I haven't done one in a couple of weeks, but because it's a little overkill for marketing. Um, but I would put together pictures of people who bought my mom's book and they sent me a picture of them giving a finger to the camera. So I put them together in this slideshow to some music. My mother was a big Golden Girls fan, so I used Thank You For Being A Friend and and string all, the mo all those pictures of people giving the finger to the camera. And that got a lot of hits and it got a lot of people out there learning about my book. And so, you know, it gave people a chance to see, hey, my mom had a sense of humor. She also was a beautiful, wonderful mom. She also was a crazy mom. She also was an evil mom. She was a terrible mom at certain times, but it didn't change anything about who I am as a person. You know, like I always say, her, what she did, her gift to me was life and what I made of myself is my gift back to her. And that's the way that I always want to appreciate her. Do I have those horror stories from having a, a mother, a crazy Italian mother? Of course I do. You know, I was beaten with a, with a wooden spoon. I was beaten with a celery stick. That's another story. Um, uh, so not, I'm not really beaten, just sort of my grandmother was just like, whack. Um, <laughs> and, um, but those things are very real, but I focused on the best parts and it really changed me. And I encourage you to write about your kids. I encourage you to write every funny thing that comes to your mind. Um, I do a thing called mind mapping, and this is a little bit of my, uh, my writing style. But what you do is if you have an idea, you get a, an actual piece of paper and write that idea in the center of the page with a pen or pay, pencil. And then in a circle, I don't know why in a circle, but in a circle around that word, or around that, that whatever that idea is, write everything that comes to mind in a circle all the way around until the entire page is full. And then if you have more, write it again and keep going and just putting all of those thoughts. That's how I figured out what the chapters of my book were. I put the title of the book in the center and then I wrote every recipe, every thought, every story. And then mm -hmm. I would pull out, I would say, oh, 
infused alcohols. Grandma used to make limoncello, so that became the infused alcohols. Oh, baked pasta. Oh, you know, there's that funny story about my dad and mom. There's that funny story of my first words. All of that just, it got everything out and it helped me like really put everything into one place. And then you just organize your thoughts and just keep going and write. And I'm, like I said, I'm new at it. I'm only in the game, you know, a couple of years, but I like it. And it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting way to, um, to expand as an artist, because I wasn't able to do any art during the pandemic. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a trapeze artist. I, I fly for a living. I teach people how to fly. But now I can't do that. So you, I have you, to... you think stand up is bad on Zoom. Try doing trapeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Trapeze on Zoom. We did. Uh, there's something. Actually, I will tell you this. I did do something that was really fun. Um, I, I um, produced an online circus called Sofa Circus. And basically, we had people from their living room do circus acts for us. And I was the ringmaster from my bedroom. And, um, and it was actually a really fun way to get artists some kind of love during that time period. And um, it was, it was, it was partnered with, uh, um, with, 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 a, with a former clown. Um, and so it was a great experience, but that is one form of art that you can do some things in your living room. There's actually a woman who does hair hanging in her backyard. She hangs by her hair. Um, there was a guy who juggled on his roof. And there was a woman who had an aerial rig in her spare bedroom. So she did some aerial stuff low to the ground. So it's all different, you know, in the way that we um, as artists communicated at that time. But I hope to never, ever, ever go back to entertaining on Zoom, except podcasts, because I have a lot of fun with podcasts. I get to share, I get to meet new people, and I get to share their knowledge with my friends and vice versa. It's such a, a mutually beneficial thing. Um, podcasts are so much fun um, for me at least. Um, and that's why yeah. I, you know, I totally, I, I can't even remember where I found you um, or how you found me, but um, I'm just glad for it because I, I, it just makes your audience bigger, my audience bigger. And then, and then we can learn from each other because I've already learned, you know, 10 different things that you've already told me about comedy that I was like, Oh shit, I got to write that down. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, Hey, you've, you've probably noticed a few times I, I go over here to the notepad <laughs> and start writing. Most of the time that's just for me, not for the podcast. <laughs> uh, do it, do it. Watch this over and over again and, and, and remind, you know, when you're editing, write shit down. If I said anything that means anything to you and seriously, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy to uh, uh, to help you find voices if you want. It's a good interactive thing to do because you will be brutally honest with me and I will be brutally honest with you. Um, I'll be like, no, that does not sound like Susan Sarandon. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> I thought I had her. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like that, that that's something that, that you can learn from other people as well. If you have sort of a mentor that will be brutally honest, but there's a difference between brutally honest and supportive. And um, I have friends that are both. And I have friends that don't really cross the line, but they're brutally honest and they don't give a shit what they say or how they affect you. And sometimes that is more painful and more detrimental to your art than uh, the people that are at least going to listen and say, hey, you didn't quite sound like that person, but try, try this. It sounds like you need to go up a little higher in your voice. And then 
you know, and it, it, if you have that comedy partner, um, you, you can bounce it off. And then you have two people that know voices. <laughs> and then, then you have, you could have a, a complete conversation between two characters, you know. So there's, there's, there's definitely stuff like that I find has always been um, helpful to me to get where I want to go and to say what I want to say and to give what I want to give. Um, you know, there, there, there's, when it comes down to, uh, you know, when you have people that are supportive as far as um, your, your, your base of people that give you that love and support, sometimes they just do it without knowing that they're lying to you. And then there are other people that are brutal and the brutal people sometimes don't care that they hurt you. And they, uh, you have to find a balance and you have to find a balance that, you know, sometimes you don't, you know, like my, my, my mother, my mother once said, don't go to the apple tree if you want cherries. In other words, mm -hmm. don't go to the people that are going to piss you off and hurt you and give you, you know, brutal comments, go to the cherry tree and get supportive, you know, critique, like, like, like supportive, have somebody like really talk you out. Um, and that's hard to find because people are, you know, not everybody gets that. Um, but every good comedian has a couple of great impressions. Just know that even if they're, even if they throw one in every good comedian's got one. So, you know. Yeah. Well, on that note, I want to, uh, I want to say I read shit. My mama says, <laughs> and, uh, first off the beginning of it, very touching. Uh, thank you. You know, very, uh, excellently done and then obviously it's very funny after that uh i can't wait for escape to ravioli mount ravioli mountain um because uh you know i i've i've had many people even say uh macalino could be a pasta or a cheese you know it's <laughs> not that far off so uh <laughs> so well, so maybe my i'll write a sequel to it escape to macalino mountain there you go. <laughs> There's no mountains in Florida, so <laughs> just insanity. Uh, but where can uh, you know? I and I'll link everything, obviously, and the 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 uh, book and uh, your oh, YouTube great, thank you, and all that. But uh, where uh, where should people go to find you? Well, you can find me on TikTok at Bobby Hedgeland Taylor. You can find me at Instagram at Bobby Hedgeland Taylor and Instagram at Escape to Ravioli Mountain is my cookbook page, uh, recipe stories, uh, pictures of whatever I'm working on for the cookbook, uh, usually there. And um, I usually post my stand-up stuff uh, on both of those pages. And um, and then, uh, let's see, I'm also on uh, Facebook. You can find me at Escape to Ravioli Mountain. And um, what else? I mean, I'm on Twitter too, at Why Walk When You Can Fly. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm around the social media world and I do my best to stay, stay active and to stay, keep people informed to what I'm doing and where. And um, you know, who knows, maybe I'll be coming to a town near you someday. Absolutely, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, Bobby, I had a great time talking with you. Thank you for joining me. And, Thanks uh, for having me. I, I'm sure our paths will cross again. Absolutely. And that was it. That's your episode. Thank you, Bobby Hedgeland Taylor, for joining me. 
Uh, again, very fun time chatting with him uh, even before and after the uh, recorded portion. So uh, thanks again to uh, Bobby for that. Check him out on all of those socials that are in the show notes beneath wherever you're listening to this. And speaking of listening to this, if you'd be so kind, if you're listening on Spotify, go up near the top where it says the Jeff Macalino podcast and uh, click click where there's stars and then uh, give me five stars. I would appreciate it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go to the show page and scroll all the way down to the bottom and hey, give me five stars. You can even write a review. I'd... Uh, I'd, I'd love that. Uh, I'd love that as well. And uh, lastly, you can click the link below for the show's IMDb page and you can rate me 10 stars on there. Double the stars. All of that stuff is free to do. It's helpful for me to so do it. Don't be a dick. Huh? All right. Uh, you know, follow me on all the socials as well, if you'd be so kind. And uh, hey, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you ever want to get in touch with me, Feel free to reach out and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll read your comment on the podcast if, if you want me to. So make it, make it enjoyable, make it great. All right. Peace.